0: Emily, welcome to the podcast. Um this is a weird one because you're my therapist. So it's like a flip in reverse um of roles.
1: Don't enjoy it too much.
0: No, I won't. I mean Do I've not. I've now got the power rather than you. Um but we're gonna start off the way I start off everyone. Mm-hmm. Two truths, one lie. Okay. So hit me with the three things and then we're gonna see how well I know my therapist. I was
1: gonna say, how well have you been listening? Yeah, that's true. So two truths, one lie. So um
2: got eight cats. Um play up to grade eight flute and i'm fully fluent in russian
0: now i know you haven't got eight cats
2: okay
0: oh so it's two truths one lie isn't it so that's wrong
2: Mm
0: -hmm. you in your house have got eight cats Mm -hmm. not like your family has eight cats
1: no like i where i live (laughs) in my house yeah have eight rescue cats that's the lie that is not a lie what that is not a lie
0: that's not a lie no that's why you've only mentioned one cat. Or maybe it was just one cat today, and that's what's in my mind.
1: <laughs> Even a minute ago, I mentioned cats, feeding the cat.
0: Do you know what, as well? I did think, because we had therapy this morning mm-hmm. for context, yeah. um, and you mentioned that, was it Bella? Bell. Bell, yeah. And that you got a, like a playpen thing. Oh,
1: a catio,
0: yeah. Yeah, and I thought in my head then, mm-hmm. I was like, a oh, full catio for one cat. <laughs> No. But now it makes a lot more sense that you've got eight cats.
1: That would explain your reaction as well. Yeah. Yeah, like what?
0: Yeah, oh, I was cat. thinking a whole den for just one cat.
1: I mean, she could fill it, to be fair, with all of her behaviours, but no, it's for eight. So that's true. That is
2: true.
0: So then we go on to the flute and Russian.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, them two, I was certain that they were true. <laughs> so no one of them's a lie. <laughs> I don't think you can speak Russian. Why's that? Don't know. <laughs> Both of them, I think, are true. So I'm just throwing it out there.
1: Yeah, you'd be right. You it's don't not, speak Russian. I no, don't speak Russian. I'd like to, but no. So you can
0: play what grade flute?
1: Grade eight flute. So it's probably the highest grade. You can I was know.
0: about to ask because I had Lauren and Eddie on. I don't know if you know Lauren.
1: Yeah, I've seen Lauren, yeah. But I
0: had her on the podcast and she said that she played some sort of grade in piano and I was like, I don't know if that's shit or really good. <laughs>
1: yeah, really not shit. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, it's really So you good. can play
0: the flute. Yeah, okay. When did you learn that? God, as a kid, um, I assume. As a
1: kid, yeah. So when I was in like secondary school. Mm. So yeah, and then through college.
0: Do you still play it now?
1: Not as often. Um, not as often as I should. So I'm a little bit rusty, but I don't think it would take me too long to pick it back up. And...
0: One of the, mm. my staff members, they literally like woke up one morning and there was like I want to learn the saxophone Oh, nice instrument, and that would yeah. be a cool instrument to learn
1: that was my other choice of saxophone or flute that's what I was recommended to to pick up was one of the two they're very different mm, they are but like similar ways to play them about sort of like with the me and wind instruments
0: oh I'm thinking recorder I was thinking of a recorder when you said flute flute's <laughs> like the posh the... recorder isn't it <laughs>
1: yeah, the posh recorder because I was
0: thinking recorder just like the plastic tube isn't it yeah yeah is yeah, it? I can
1: play
0: that as well. Oh, well, I assume so because that's like a flute. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I don't know those grades in like the recorder.
1: No,
0: but no. it makes more sense like to the be a flute. Flute's the long silver
1: thing that's yeah.
0: To yeah. Well, fair play to you. Yeah. So let's go back to when you start. So you're a therapist. Yep. Have you always done direct one-to-one therapy? Because I know you worked for the NHS.
1: Yeah, so I've done a few things. Um, so in terms of being fairly brief. if um, so go
0: chronological order as well, so like where did you start the career in therapy? Okay,
1: so if we go back to like, uni I did clinical psychology, that's what my degree's in, and um, then do like what a lot of students do, we come out and we do temp jobs and bit and bob about, Um, <clears throat> volunteered, um, because I met with a psychologist not long after I'd graduated, to ask, you know, how do I then potentially become a clinical psychologist or a psychologist in general terms? And she said... Get as much experience with different populations as you can, so clinical populations.
0: So what is clinical populations? Because you're using a lot of big words here.
1: (laughs) I know you can understand them. Yeah,
0: definitely, yeah.
1: (laughs) So clinical populations, so we're thinking of people like maybe with brain injury or Alzheimer's, um, stroke survivors I've worked with, you know, I've volunteered for Samaritans, so working on their helpline. So a lot, in broad terms, clinical populations. Right. So that's what I did. And then I worked in care for a while, then worked more with adults with learning disabilities, sort of more generic roles. Then worked for a couple of charities, so supporting stroke survivors and people with dementia and their carers, so using sort of therapeutic skills with them, so helping stroke survivors regain some of their motor skills after stroke, helping them regain some of their speech um, after experiencing strokes and supporting families as well. Um, And then for me, it was a bit of a... A moment, I think, in my life where I needed to use mental health services. Yeah, yeah. You know, I needed a counsellor and and support. So I'd always known that I wanted to work in mental health since being probably about seventeen. So mm-hmm. I knew I wanted to work in mental health.
0: So what was that? Because that's a unique career choice, I'd say. It's mm-hmm. not your normal one mm-hmm. because I'd say I don't know how old you are, but like mental health's only recently in the coming years been like okay. a real care where people actually. Taking care of it. Yeah. yeah. So seventeen to then directly go. I want to go into mental health. Why was that?
1: This is going to sound weird, but it was something that I knew that I wanted. And at the time when I told my family that that's what I wanted to do, and I was quite clear about the type of thing I wanted to do. I didn't know exactly what that was going to be yet. Yeah. But I knew my degree was going to be in clinical psychology, which touches on things such as schizophrenia, bipolar, maybe more acute mental illnesses my family sort of had it they were supportive but there was a reaction and there was things I didn't know then mm. that I've since learned and yeah. found out fairly swiftly. um that it feels like it was this is going to sound so icky but it feels like it was kind of meant um, right. for me and it makes me feel it was your vocation, well. my vocation. <laughs> <laughs> really, but you know I suppose like being completely open and honest what I found out sort of part way through university um, I mean, my grandma, who I was exceptionally close to, died when I was, was 12. And um, there was always something iffy about it to me, but I was 12. Hmm. Um, and I subsequently found out that she died by suicide. Right. Um, and that's why my family had such kind of a shock and awe type of reaction, because... They couldn't believe that I wanted to go into something so closely aligned to what my grandmother had experienced. it may
0: trigger you and things like that. Yeah, and I didn't know
1: it at the time. Like, um, obviously, at 12 years of age, they didn't want to share with me that yeah. my grandma, who I loved and worshipped, had um, died in a way that, especially then, you know, people were really, really yeah, yeah. shocked by. And I know it's still shocking now, but there's mm. there way more awareness now than, than there was then. Um, to the point where my family were hiding newspapers um because it made the news right. and you know for them it must have been a really horrible time I'm
0: trying but, and trying to protect you as the child
1: yeah and then obviously like when i became aware you know that another th- i was grieving like a second time for me and probably for my family mm. um but i think definitely not like my vocation but there was something i guess i felt <clears throat> was very meant to be um and i made a decision before i even knew it um and then here we are
0: so how come it didn't, I don't want to say put you off because it shouldn't put you off, but how come it didn't scare you away that you was then, when you found out that, mm-hmm. is, that you was working in a field that is so close to your family?
1: I think for me, when I heard from my family how in some ways they were treated, right. it kind of made me more impassioned to want to help because there was something about when, when that happened, she was deemed to not be mentally unwell. So there's no, no failing of any professional, but there was something that wasn't quite right that mm. everybody missed. And I think, you know, that's why like, she'd left out all the meals for the next day. You know, there was everything planned. And um, no one knows why. There, there was no, no note, no nothing. So left some really big questions for my family. And I think their experience, you know, wasn't ideal. Um, for for my dad, my granddad, it was you know a really difficult time, and it kind of made me, yeah, more impassioned to want to help and to want to understand. Yeah. Because any death's a big thing, but when it it's something as traumatic as that suicide, yeah. it it it's very different.
0: So, have you worked with suicide victims' families? Mm-hmm. How was that? Do you feel um, like you you know how it feels, so you can put that experience.
1: Yes and no. And to your work. I think as a therapist, <clears throat> we have to try to be really, really boundaryed because I'm one person with one experience of suicide and this hypothetical family are, and other people, and we come from maybe different backgrounds, different ways of seeing the world. And um, where appropriate, then yeah, I would use self-disclosure. But I'm very mindful that I'm me and you're you. Um, mm. But sometimes it's helpful to say I'm not completely ignorant to what you might be feeling, yeah. or maybe we don't feel the same because we're different people. But there's something there that is a commonality. You know, that we, I can understand that how difficult it might be.
0: And did that feel okay working in that field? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because you feel like you're making the difference. Is that where it came from?
1: Yeah, making a difference. And you know, as therapists, we do a lot of work on ourselves, and that mm. doesn't mean that I go home and don't have feelings or maybe don't cry now and again. But you know, I have my own therapist. We have a lot of clinical supervision where we talk about our cases, you know, anything that evokes particular thoughts and feelings. And during my training, we had to touch on a lot of things. You know, there was a lot of people in the training room that had been through loads of different experiences um, that, that, you know, were triggering in different ways for, for each of us. So we, we had to sort of face that head on and that, that is sobering, mm. um, but also really liberating as well.
0: So you have your own therapist. Now I remember when you told me this, mm-hmm. I was like, What? Because in my head, and I'm sure in a lot of people's head, like if you have the knowledge yeah. of listening to someone and how they feel and then providing a way of helping, mm-hmm. can you not listen to yourself no. in the way you feel? <laughs> <laughs> just go to the mirror and just talk to yourself.
1: I don't want to listen to myself. I'm surprised you wanna listen to me half the time, so yeah. But I just
0: wonder how you could not use your own profession to help you like what helps I know now because you've started to tell me but
1: yeah so in in some way yeah I mean there's certain things that might trigger me a day I'm getting anxious about something like for this for example I was like a little bit anxious about it it's not Mm. something I've done before um obviously I want it to be great for you um you know there's that fear of like judgment and stuff you know I can examine that and be like okay I'm catastrophizing you know it's probably going to be okay what do I say to clients half the time was the expectation better or worse than the reality and they always say better yeah um so that sort of thing yeah You know, can definitely work with. But how honest are we always with ourselves?
0: 100%.
1: You know, if we're really honest, we're not that honest always with ourselves. You know, whereas I can sit with a therapist who's my therapist and they can hold me to account in a different way because maybe I don't want to be that honest about myself. You know, it's easy for me to sit there and say to my therapist, oh, yes, everything is everybody else's fault, but it's not. Yeah. So, you know, I think a bit about what what I talked about with you and, and others is ownership yeah you know a therapist can get you to own some of the bits of yourself that you don't really want to and i think it'd be really really easy to not go to therapy and not own any of my my shit Mm. and just live in this like little bubble of well you know felt like my husband is, all his fault and yeah yeah. and i'm great Um, because
0: in your own head that's what you think yeah everyone
1: does you know none of us really want to sit there and ask ourselves (laughs) those uncomfortable questions of what is my bit of this? Mm. What have I contributed to this disagreement with a family member or my husband or a friend? You know, there's a bit of it that's mine. And sometimes, yeah, you can definitely see it. But other times you need somebody who's objective and not emotionally invested in a situation to say, yeah, but what do you really think about that? Could you have handled that better? What might that look like?
0: So having that outsider to see it from the outsider's point of view rather than Emily's point of view.
1: Yeah. You know, because I'm sure if you could see everything from your point of view, that'd be great.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Everybody's aligned to their <laughs> way of thinking, my way of thinking. That'd be perfect. We'd never be wrong. That's um, a great life to me. Brilliant. But we'd never grow. No. You know, everything just stay the same. So I think, you know, again, you know, quite icky, but it is about growth and development and, you know, it's not fun being challenged, but I think that's where a lot of the change happens.
0: 100%. So going off that, um, and it's a big... I don't know what the word here is like a false narrative of therapy, and I mentioned this to you when I first came in for my first session. Oh, yeah, of saying like when people hear someone's going to therapy, they automatically think that that person's in a bad place. <laughs> why, first of all, why do you think that's happened? Do you think it's hmm. like TV programs and things like that?
1: It's weird. I was thinking about this earlier, it's almost like you've read, read my mind, and we've actually not oh. talked about this in advance, so yeah. now I was thinking about that. I think there's a few things. I think, yeah, probably TV, um, historic stigma, like loads of awareness raising has been done. I think we're leaps and bounds ahead of where we were many years ago with how we treat people who are struggling with their mental health, how we understand it. But I still think there's almost this, still this implicit stigma. And thinking about that, that, na- that traditional narrative of therapy, it's so strange that, like you say, the minute someone says, I'm going to therapy, it's like, What's wrong with you?
0: Well, I remember before I found you, I'd put on my Instagram story, does anybody know a therapist that could like help me with business yeah. stuff? Mm-hmm. And someone reached out and told me about you. But I had like five people say, like, you all right? Straight away, it's like, you all right? Now, I appreciate mm-hmm. them yeah. checking on me.
1: Because that is good. We yeah, want that. That's yeah,
0: that's 100% good. But it was like, automatically, it's dev must be in a bad mm-hmm. place.
1: Yeah. And isn't it strange that if you were to put that out and say... I'm looking for a great PT. You'd just get people going, oh my God, good for you. That's yeah. amazing. Oh, you know, this person, that person. Okay, so we can have somebody that helps us with our physical health. So, you know, helps us go to the, maybe get more confident in the gym, understand our nutrition better, make better lifestyle choices, you know, maybe like get rid of some unhelpful um, training or, or diet patterns. And then you say, I want to go see a therapist or a counsellor. It's like the total opposite reaction. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, people reach out and say, Are "You okay?" But it's not like, "Oh, good for you." You know, like, yeah, here's here's some details. It's just that real narrative of, well, if you're going to therapy, you must have something wrong, and I, you're not the only client to have said, "Right, I'm not depressed. I'm not." Because that's the first thing I said when I came in. Isn't I? I was like, <laughs> I want to make depressed. it
0: clear here. I'm not suicidal. There not is depressed. nothing I'm not really bad.
1: <laughs> but that's the thing, and I think there is something that people assume if you go to see a therapist that you must be experiencing a breakdown or something really really bad yet we see a PC and that that's fine yeah. people can come to therapy for so many reasons as you know yourself you don't always have to be depressed or anxious um or stressed you know some people come because they need a place to talk mm. and i always think therapy is like a really great space to be selfish you know, toss why Yeah, 100%.
2: You
1: know, you don't have to care what the other person thinks. You don't really going to care about offending them like you would with your family. Mm. So you might say a certain thing and think, oh, am I family going to judge me for that? Is it going to piss them off? Are they going to get upset? I was in therapy. It's like, I can say what I really think. So it doesn't always have to be, I'm really depressed or I'm really anxious or my life's going going to shit. It can just be, I want a space that's just for me, that's contained to explore how I'm thinking and feeling, to maybe make some changes. Um, but also to get, like, not feedback as such, but like a, a different perspective. Yeah, yeah. Someone that's objective and can challenge you. Because let's face it, if our mum, dad, girlfriend, boyfriend, brother, sister challenged us, how likely are we to be responsive and receptive? Yeah. Whereas it's very different, a different dynamic when it's like a therapist.
0: Lauren said the exact same thing again. Cause she goes to therapy mm-hmm. and she mentioned that your family, like, she said her family might, might be like, um, not 100% listening but like being there for you in the normal way of just saying oh I hope you're okay this that rather than challenging you yeah um so kind of that room gives you that
1: yeah and you know our friends and family Obviously they care about us and <clears throat> are they likely to challenge us in the most constructive way? No. You know, are they likely to actually tell us maybe what we need to hear as opposed to what we want to hear? Yeah. You know, are they going to ask us that uncomfortable question of well, what bit of this is yours? What bit of this have you perhaps created? What bit of this do you need to own? They're probably not going to ask us that because they don't want to. They want us to be okay. Yeah. So they're going to say and do the, the pastoral, caring things, you know, make sure you're all right, making us food. they mm. are trying to cheer us up. Maybe not asking some of those more questions of greater depth
0: yeah 100 percent. so in terms of the field you've worked in then because there's a lot of different ones Mm. how have you taken different approaches to them because if you go from you say you worked with like dementia Mm -hmm. so going from like dementia to suicide victims families to me, mm-hmm. who's just there because he wants to rant about business and <laughs> my mom.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I rant about my own therapy as well. It's fine.
0: It's like a complete mm-hmm. range of spectrum. So, mm-hmm. how do you kind of go into that room, maybe see me, mm-hmm. and then the mm-hmm. next person you see after me is a complete. You have to like reset yourself. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Is
2: an interesting so like question. About giving the
0: tricks of your trade.
1: Yeah, I've never really thought about it. Um. Yeah, a A break, you know, just like 15 minutes. So, that 15 minutes is usually to get a drink, have a snack, maybe, you know, digest the session that's just gone, you know, to think about that and think about who's next. Mm. And I tend to walk about, you know, really like not interesting stuff. And I'm not like meditating or anything. It's just
0: Just a resetting thing. Just
1: a reset, you know, just do things that are very routine based. So, you know, nothing particularly um amazing like i feel like i should articulate something really beautiful that i do yeah. sessions, but there really is nothing mm. um but i think for me and probably for a lot of other therapists is you never know even though you know the clients that you've got you never know what that session going to be so whilst that's great because it's important to have like an open mind and be curious yeah it's also scary because let's just say for argument's sake, your last session was like, yeah, I'm so great, I'm so I happy. I was literally
0: about to bring it up, yeah. yeah. I was gonna to say, to be completely transparent with like the people who are listening, the last session I was like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. There was literally hardly anything for us You were us trying to... to challenge me last session. Yeah. Like, yeah come on. I was like, come on then, fire something <laughs> at me. Whereas then this week I came in and I was like, it's a bit meh because business isn't like booming. Mm. We're currently taking a year where we are kind of just grinding and getting the cash flow up. In that there's nothing really for me to work towards and that's yeah. killing me off a bit so I've gone in this week which is only four weeks four later weeks, yeah, yeah. so in four weeks I've gone from come mm. on then give me something give me to now best, me yeah. going sort me out <laughs> yeah.
1: and that's the thing so it's I always think you can never really assume and and equally you could have someone whose previous session was so emotive and so challenging in, in all the right ways and they could come back the next session and be like I feel great you know and do what you did last time well, come on then give it your best and I actually had a client today that said um I don't always feel that I need to to come and talk to you or talk to someone but I like it
0: I'm the exact same sometimes I'll think I don't need to book another session but then I know before every se- or after every <laughs> session be like, I'm glad I had that hour yeah not even just to let you challenge me <laughs> but just to sit there and just rant for an yeah. hour
1: yeah and I think that's the thing so again it comes back to that like old school narrative of that it doesn't have to be doom and gloom every session like I spend a lot of time laughing mm. in sessions you know um and I think sometimes my clients are kind of shocked about that because we do laugh a lot we have some jokes whether they're like dark humor jokes you know th- there are yeah but you know it's not all about you know me sitting there in a very calm way and someone you know being very depressed all the time like, there's light and shade and um yeah the the emotive sessions are good and I think often that's where the most change happens. But there's always room for humor there's always room for sessions like your last one where you're like well come on then hmm. i'm doing all right what are you going to do for this next hour yeah. like oh like challenging me earn this money because, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> let, let's see but that was fine because that session even though like you were you were like for transparency saying you were good we still made progress with different things yeah we still talked about different things and those things are still valid um and then today again different type of session but all still really useful
0: Something that someone told me to ask you, and I thought it was a really <laughs> good question. Oh, God. And <laughs> um, there was really intrigued um, of how, <sighs> there's a fly, how you can, obviously some of the stories that you may hear and some of the people that you may come across, they have sad stories. Mm-hmm. How do you then go home the same way like maybe a doctor would <clears throat> be looking after somebody who's ill and then mm-hmm. goes home? How do you then go home and not think about that at all? How do you not take your work home?
1: So I do think about it, right. you know? and I think that, that's me personally. There may be other therapists that don't. As from experience of other therapists that I know, I don't think there's many therapists that would just like not think about it. Mm. You know, there's some sessions that I have, where of course you know stuff might come up for me that maybe I'm like percolating over the session. It Might be a hard session, hearing something really horrible and sad. Um, so I think you know. D- I do think about it but it doesn't consume my thoughts and that's why I tend to try and make sure I've got things in place that I know that I'm doing sometimes that's literally going home and making dinner yeah you know it's nothing sometimes it's nothing exciting like this particular Saturday I've got a really long day my husband's working a 12-hour shift so that night we're gonna have an Indian and a couple of drinks you know and that helps you click off yeah the Indian more so than the alcohol. But, yeah, you, know, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, Just to get it out there. But, you know, it's just... I know it's going to be a long day. I know that I'll be tired. <clears throat> my husband's going back to work after 12 days off, so he'll just be foul yeah. by the time he gets <laughs> oh, home. So, you know, having something to look forward to, you know, favourite food is Indian, a couple of glasses of Prosecco, watch some rubbish on TV, go to bed. You know, other days it might be the... I don't know, plan, plan to get my nails done. Sometimes i just go home and, and it kind of becomes... Not routine, because I never want to be detached enough where it doesn't affect me.
0: Yeah, you like to... Because mm. I think otherwise then you lose your personal touch.
2: hmm
1: Yeah. And for me, you know, I know myself enough now, given my own experiences. that I do feel certain things profoundly. I do, you know, I feel joy profoundly, I feel sadness and anxiety profoundly. Um, and I never want to really lose that. Because I think the minute I stop kind of, not caring, but stop having reactions... It's to me a sign that I'm burnt out mm. and or I need to start. Yeah. You know, because I want to feel stuff. Does it go home and consume me? No. Um, if it was, then I would be booking my own personal therapy or bringing it forward. And I'd be bringing my clinical supervision forward. If it's something that's really, like, got to me. Because obviously, I cannot go home and talk about this. Yeah. You know, I can't say to you're my husband. The, yeah, you're on probably. the strict thing. Yeah. yeah. So that's where it has to be, like, a clinical supervisor. Um, or personal therapist so there's lots of things in place you know, other things, exercise
0: So you don't necessarily have to let it go home and consume you because you do have mm-hmm. super, uh, not supervision but assistance to get your side of mm-hmm. the stories to, yeah. you've heard out there
1: Yeah, and we have to have supervision at least once a month we have therapy at least once a month so I've got a space, much like yourself, to contain it. So yeah. there's a space I can take that to should I need to. And if it was bothering me to the extent where it was consuming me, then I just bring that forward. Mm. And that's the agreement that a lot of us have with our supervisors is, you know, if there's something really really troubling us, then we ask for an extra session, I bring the session forward. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, <clears throat> it's something I accept as part of the job, you know, that there are going to be days where I feel things more than others. And sometimes that could be because of my own resilience. Have I had a decent night's sleep? Because mm. the temperature right outside, whatever it might be. You know, am I not feeling 100% physically? Maybe I've got a cold or something. And like I was full of cold, lost my voice last week. I think I probably felt things more last week than I would have this week just because my own physical resilience was down.
0: Makes you more emotional maybe.
1: Yeah, mm. you know, and I'm not sure to admit that. I think, you know, we're human beings and sometimes when our physical health isn't great, it makes dealing with the emotional side of life harder
0: i think people forget that as well about certain careers is mm-hmm. that you are humans because mm-hmm. i think we i don't have any bad things to lay on you but if i had bad things to lay on you i kind of lay it on you expect your professional advice and then you just go home hunky-dory <laughs> yeah. whereas you are a human and you will feel emotion
1: yeah yeah just skip out um, yeah. <laughs> but actually someone said something and it was around the time of covid and i cannot remember who it was and i completely appreciate that it was well meant it wasn't meant in like any particular way but it's kind of what sort of inspired the thinking around my thesis. And it was to do with, you know, obviously COVID was a really difficult time for everybody in difficult ways. And, you know, all the isolation and then being allowed out to play again. And somebody said to me, oh, well, as a therapist, it won't bother you, will it? I said, oh, what do you mean? Well, you won't get anxious about getting up from COVID or it won't bother you, like, not, not seeing people. And it's
0: a weird comment. It was like, Yeah, it was weird. <laughs> and
1: I thought... But I remember speaking to another therapist about it and saying it's almost as if, for some people, we're kind of like robotic.
0: Yeah, 100%. It's like, the same with doctors. Yeah, things like, like that.
1: You don't get anxious or you don't get stressed. And if you do, we've got this like magic book of like how to manage it. And, you know, we're just like almost like, the, not that we are, but obviously, as sort of superhuman, that we could just manage anything. You know, something bad in our life happens and we just go, okay.
0: Well. Because why wouldn't you be able to if you can fix our <laughs> lives kind yeah. of thing?
1: Yeah. But, you know, you, you hit on a really valid point that we are human. And I think I've joked with you before. Sometimes I go home and I shout at the cat. Mm. Sometimes I go home and I have an argument with my husband. Yeah. You know, sometimes I fall out with my mum or like I misunderstand something. And I react to it before thinking about what's coming out of my mouth. You know, we are human. We do mm. everything that every client does. And I'm really clear with a lot of clients, especially young people that I work with. I do everything that you do. Yeah, you just yeah. don't see it. Yeah. Because why would you see
0: it? Yeah, you're there to give that professional advice. Yeah. I think what's good about you going from our experience is that you are relatable. I think you've got that personal touch. Because like, if I ever have troubles in my relationship or my mum, the first thing you say is, like, oh, me too. <laughs> and that straight away means that you've kind of taken away the professional barrier, but then you're giving it the professional advice yeah. in a personal setting. Well, I'm glad that I I you think that's going that's feel that way. Yeah, I'm glad to
1: feel that way. Yeah, yeah, that's feel that way. Um, and that's the thing, like sometimes where self-disclosure even just in a yeah me too I've done that before could be quite useful because that's what I hope it does it takes that barrier away that we are not you know sat 10 levels above being able to like preach and say you should have done this
0: yeah because that's what it would feel like if I think the personal touch wasn't there it's like right you need to do that you need to do that you need to do that I'd be like what Oh stop telling me off
1: <laughs> the critical parent like oh, I just yeah. feel like I'm being told off right now and then you know if anyone's like me critical parent I default to spoiled child so I'm like well I'm not doing well, that while you've
0: said that I want you to touch base on that obviously I know what it is but I just want to have the conversation again on, <laughs> is it a triangle
1: yeah
0: so the triangle of critical parent
1: balanced adult and then smoke
0: child. child yeah mm-hmm. so just explain what that is because I think <clears throat> remember when you first told me I was like that is me and my mum yeah
1: <laughs> so it's um, from transactional analysis so you know, being really basic, um, just for the purposes of this discussion, you've got your triangle, and at each point there's a role. So you've got a critical parent at one, spoiled child at another, boy, and um, balanced adult at another, and they all interlink. So it's very, very rare that all of us can all the time occupy balanced adult because life, yeah, you know, and life throws curveballs. People piss us off. We don't get enough sleep. You know, we're hungry. Whatever else. So quite often, and I use this a lot in couples therapy in particular, um, and family stuff too. But quite often, what happens is we can be quite lazy communicators. So we can be quite. You've done this to me. You've done that to me. So we're occupying that critical parent role. You should have done that. It's so a bit like what we were just saying a moment ago. And quite often, what tends to happen is that person then defaults to the spoiled child. Now, that could be whatever behaviour you exhibited as a child. So for some people, it's like getting angry and stamping their feet. For others, it's crossing their arms and saying, well, I'm not going to do it now. Mm. That's, that's the me one.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you know,
1: when someone tells me to do something in a certain way, like it's a very critical parent, reminds me of my mother, I'm like... Absolutely not. Absolutely not happening. Don't care now. Don't care if it's the right thing to do. I'm not doing it. And it that kind of evokes that in us. And it's only when we can understand that and take a step back and be like, okay, maybe I do need to have a little bit of balance, adult here what can I do to make this better for myself not for necessarily the other person but it's so hard on? to
0: think that at the time isn't it because mm. I have a mum all the time where if I maybe say something to her and I'm taking the parent I get told all the time <laughs> you're acting like my dad and I do but like I'll take that what's the word critical parent
1: critical parent yeah
0: and then straight away because I'm not their person's dad maybe my mum <laughs> my mum is obviously my mum I'm not a dad hope not. she'll go into like sport child mode yeah and be like, who the fuck are you talking to? Exactly. And then that's you both lose. lose.
1: Yeah. Because then, like you say, she gets into that sport, child, well, who the fuck do you think you're talking to? I'm your mum. Mm. Well, then maybe you should act like it. <laughs> you know, and then, then everyone's losing because then we're getting defensive. We're in an argument and actually nothing gets resolved. Mm. So then we have the argument. Everyone stomps off. No one's really tried to occupy balance at adult and that's fine. But the, the whole issue doesn't get resolved. So then it comes back.
0: So, what's your advice for reaching that resolution?
1: Better communication, and that's hard because it, you have to think about it. You know, like I say to, to a lot of clients, and, and myself included, we are lazy communicators, you know, especially in this day and age. Everything just comes so easy. You know, we don't have to think too hard sometimes about what we need to do or how to get it. It's much harder than when we're having to communicate, whether it's family relationships, romantic friendships. It's easier. For me to go home and say, you've not done this, that's pissed me off. How's anyone going to react to that? Yeah. You know, I'm not going to get a positive reaction. The
0: turn sport child, are not they?
1: Yeah. Or you'll flip it back on me. You know, and, th- and that's, that's what happens, you know, in, in many relationships. What is harder to do, but much, much better, and we have to get have to train ourselves to do it, is um, oh, I find it really difficult when I come home and, you know, you've left your shoes there and I've tripped over them it really frustrates me what I'd really like to happen in future is you just put them away mm. or at least out of the way of the door so I don't trip over much harder to do than
0: if just it I is so again. much harder I think you've told me at least one of these little quotes every session and I go I can't say that
1: <laughs> but it, yeah, it feels uncomfortable it feels difficult and I think you know like stuff we've spoken about before like when we're trying something new it feels really cumbersome it feels like so alien where it's just so much easier to default to the unhelpful pattern of behaviour. Mm. but then my question is often well how is that working for you
0: that's the thing it never does work for you
2: mm.
1: and it is hard and I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and say that i get that right every time i don't sometimes i default to very lazy communication so don't many other people Of uh, why can't you just move your shoes out of the way <laughs> instead of like even trying to say it politely
0: going to what you just said then with you saying sometimes you drop out i think people would think that somebody who gives relationship therapy, mm-hmm. which you do with some people, mm-hmm. you give couple therapy, you'd be able to have the perfect relationship.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: No. Why is that not true?
1: Because I'm a human being, and uh, my husband's a human being, and we have eight cats. Um, <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> that's a big one. Um, and you know, sometimes we don't communicate well. You know, sometimes I'm tired or unwell or. You know, just in one of those moods, and you know we're human beings, and I think again, that's a really important point that I share with a lot of the couples that I work with is that I don't have the perfect relationship. D- do things come a little easier at times? Yes, because there is you know how there. To approach. Someone. And you know um, I can't obviously I speak a lot with my husband about different things, so I think the communication's there through the job. but yeah, I do often think that it's almost like these standards that people expect that we will have and I guess that's where sort of the, the feeling of being a fraud or being an imposter comes in of, oh, well, I've just had a, an argument with my mum or my husband or my friend or shouted at the cat. I must be, I shouldn't be in this job because I'm not perfect. Not that I expect to be perfect.
0: No, but you the narrative of giving yeah, advice yeah. to people would be.
1: Yeah, that actually, well, you don't make mistakes. Yeah. Well, I should absolutely 100% do, mm. probably daily in ways that I don't realise. Yeah. But, you know, we, and we all do. and. I think that's really important to get across and uh, to share that we don't, we're not superior human beings. Not that anyone I'm saying thinks that we are, but, you know, we fuck up.
2: Yeah.
1: You know, just like everybody else. And like I say to the young person I was speaking to, you just don't see it, but why would you? Why would I come to a therapy session of yours and say, well, actually, this is this what happened. This shit happened. Yeah, this is what happened in my life. <laughs> you know, you just wouldn't. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there is a lot of that imposter syndrome, especially, yeah, I feel it, you know, God, should I really do this job if I make mistakes? Should I really do this job if I lose my temper? Um, other therapists that I speak to sometimes say the same thing, that they feel a bit of a fraud when maybe their personal life isn't going well for whatever reason. Um, but that's normal. And I think sometimes we need to normalise, you know, elements of mental health, because we all have mental health, just yeah. like we all have physical health. Um, and it's, it's strange the way it's spoken about, you know, especially a lot of the younger people I work with. A young girl said to me the other day, oh, yeah, well, I know I've got my mental health. And then she stopped, and I stopped. And she said, that sounded really weird, didn't it? I said, well, tell me why. She said, well, of course I've got mental health. I said, would you say that about your physical health? Would you walk into a room and say, I've got my physical health? Yeah. She's like, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> I said, exactly, because everyone's got physical health and everyone's got mental health, and that can fluctuate. Mm. and that's normal it mm. doesn't mean it's pleasant but you know it is normal that it fluctuates and sometimes we need more help than others and um, just like you would engage the help of a physiotherapist or a personal trainer um, to help with your physical health in various different ways it's the same with your brain you know sometimes we have to train it
0: yeah hundred percent. so you just mentioned uh i think you mentioned the girl talk about genders these flies in here don't mind he? i didn't <laughs> you mentioned genders Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Because there's a big thing now, um, that a lot of men are kind of struggling, and not many men mm-hmm. talk. Mm-hmm. Um, it's getting better, and there's a lot more help now. Um, but how do you feel about the gender difference and the, the societal outlook on men going to therapy? Because I know when I told Lauren that I went to therapy, she was like, "Love that!" Like it's a huge thing. Yeah. For a man to just go and talk, mm-hmm. why do you think that stigma's came? Is it because they were all mentally men?
1: You know, I think there, there is something about, yeah, that sort of historical stigma of like men and men. Mm. Men don't talk about feelings because men don't have any feelings yeah. apart from like primitive feelings. Men don't feel sad. Yeah, men never cry. <laughs> yeah, you know, but that, that is the thing. And I think, you know, the more men such as yourself um, are comfortable and open about saying, you know what, I go to therapy or I take antidepressants, whatever it might be, you know, then more people will become comfortable with it. But I don't think we're anywhere near where we need to be. Um, I think sometimes that is perception that traditionally women cry and are emotional and all of those other things, you know, hysterical. Um, And you, as men, I meant that to calm us down and, you know, sort us out.
0: To be fair, I never cry, but at the same time, and I don't really talk. (laughs) <laughs> that's why when I first came to you I was like oh by the way I don't really talk because so I don't know how this is going to go it could be a long hour yeah exactly. <laughs> but then I suppose your profession you force me to talk subconsciously <clears throat> I don't even realize I'm doing it
1: yeah you do talk a lot you're very chatty yeah I know um, and I it's weird like a lot of my male clients have said that just so you know I don't do talking
0: it's kind of setting off on the wrong foot isn't it <laughs>
1: in my head I'm thinking well this is going to go one of two few ways so it's going to be a really long hour for us both or we could just talk generally and see what happens yeah. and initially in a lot of session initial sessions at least that's what we're doing which is gathering information you know you're getting to know me I'm getting to know you mm. and you know sometimes yeah you, you might have thought that's not the therapist for me maybe I don't like the personal touch or maybe I want someone that's a bit more like you know strategic yeah and a bit more traditional in that sense which is nothing wrong with that because for some people that will work better and um, but yeah a lot of a lot of my male clients, interested. you've just said that, it's reminded me of several that have said the same thing. Like, I don't talk. Okay.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> my job's got harder. <laughs>
1: yeah, and it's really important for me that I don't think about that too much before the session because there's been a few clients before, traditionally male, I don't talk. So I'm, like, I'm not going to like think about that. I'm going to go in like I would any session. Mm. And I get nervous before initial sessions, so I always share that. You know, you're probably nervous. I'm nervous, you know, we're both trying to weigh each other up, we're both trying to kind of understand whether or not we can communicate on the level that you need. And that's okay to feel nervous and reserved. You know, I'm pretty sure... Actually, probably in our first session we were swearing, I think. Fairly yeah, yeah, fair, we and were. I think
0: it's weird because that breaks down a barrier. <laughs> yeah. It like, breaks down a professional barrier. That's why yeah. I say on here, like, people can swear. Yeah. Even though if I end up starting to money, earn money on this, it'll get demonetized. I don't care because I just yeah. want comfortability.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important. And I think, yeah, the minute you dropped a swear word, I was like, this is fine then.
0: Yeah. I can swear <laughs>
2: now.
1: Um, but I think, yeah, there is something about you know, like just weighing each other up and, and feeling comfortable. Um, I think with men, there probably is a bit, like I said, around the stigma around mental health as a whole. There is kind of an experience, like, almost that men don't get sad, men don't get mentally ill, men don't struggle with depression, anxiety, because what does that mean about men then if they do?
0: They ultimately think it's weakness, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. I think, why I think a lot of men struggle, and then I feel like men have a stigma of being providers, mm-hmm. and if they can't provide, they're not seen as men, mm-hmm. and I feel like that's why a lot of men take their own lives, yeah. because of the feeling of not being able to provide.
1: Yeah. I think that's where you get into like a really interesting area of gender roles, identity, and you know, <clears throat> with gender now as it is, you know, very it's a fluid, mm. fluid concept. You know, there's lots of different things that gender throws up for people, um, and really, really interesting, interesting area.
0: So, how do you think the direction's going to go with men's mental health, especially? Obviously, women's mental health is important, but a lot of women do talk anyway. Mm-hmm. The, the, the narrative of men is that they don't. So how do you think we're going to get there? What is the path?
1: Challenging stereotypes, you know, so the traditional, you know. Could that
0: be a generational thing as well? I think I so. Like the older genera- like if I, I don't know if my granddad knows I go to therapy or not. I don't mm. speak to him about it, but um, I think he'd be like, what are you going there for? Mm. Straight away.
1: And, you know, I've got some younger people that I see who are male that are not 16 yet, but come, come into therapy, yes their mum and dad's like ask them to go hmm.
2: um
1: but I'm working with a couple of young young guys at the moment and they were like actually I thought when when I came here you were gonna ask me how I was feeling all the time Well, yeah I'm gonna do that
0: yeah at some at, point, at point I will drop it I in will, <laughs> I'll
1: ask you how you're feeling you know, even if it's just because I need to you know yeah, how into yeah. you <laughs> um it's like actually I can just talk and it's really helping me um and I think you know yeah the younger generation are much more open to the idea of therapy I think our generation, I think we are open to it. But I think the people that raised us, our grandparents and so on, probably it's a bit odd to them. Yeah. Because it was never spoken about. You know, it was almost like that stiff upper lip, kind of stoic. You just deal with it. You know, as far as anyone knows, we're a nice, normal family. And, you know, you keep it behind closed doors. Because it's
0: seen as weakness, isn't it?
1: It can be, yeah. And I hate that, but that is a truth. That almost like people that are mentally unwell... Mm. a week but if you're physically unwell well that's just unfortunate yeah you know if you take antidepressants why do you need those yeah why can't you just come off them would anyone dare say to a type 1 diabetic why do you need that insulin
2: yeah
1: oh don't take that no one would dare say it well i would hope not you know you would never say that to somebody with a physical health problem Mm. but it's almost like again like this implicit Understanding that you want to discourage somebody from taking antidepressants, regardless of the reasons that they might need to take them,
0: I've probably been guilty about myself in the past. Mm-hmm. Before I, maybe I came to therapy of saying like, you don't need tablets to fix you. Mm-hmm. Literally, just <laughs> I'd use the term of just like just be happier. <laughs> <laughs> it's bad, isn't it? But that's what you, I just think because I, I was in such like a, a Devon mode of thinking of like I have no worries just go to work, be happy, come home, be happy, you're alive. But then you start to delve into your problems mm. and you realise that's not the truth.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the thing, and there's quite, there's a lot of people that will probably say the same, you don't need to take tablets to fix you, and it's not necessarily about saying that tablets fix anything, but sometimes what they do is they give us the space, our mind the space, to be able to think more clearly, to be able to engage in therapy, because if we've got something that's really traumatic, even if it's nothing particularly traumatic, but if we're really depressed and we're really struggling, those tablets can just give us what we need to be able to get through the days. You know, give our minds a little bit of a break so we can engage back in our working life, our social life, engage in therapy if we need to, and make that process more fruitful. And actually, if you look at the research, most of the research suggests that antidepressants teamed with therapy gives you the best chance of recovery Hmm. should you need it. And again, that's a personal choice. Um, I have no particular view one way or the other. You know, a number of years ago, I took antidepressants and I needed them. And I'm not ashamed that I took them. And who knows, something might happen in my life where I might need them again. I don't know. Mm. Um, but I wouldn't rule it out. I think I ruled it out for so long, out of what stubbornness, you know. What I, I, can... I don't
0: think I'd take them if I got told I needed them.
1: <clears throat> yeah maybe not and that's fine yeah. equally it's fine to take them um, you know I've not taken them for a number of years now but you know if you need them like I say if you had a physical health problem and a doctor said this might help you you'd probably take it yeah.
2: um,
1: and not feel the need to justify it and I think with antidepressant medication people often feel the need to justify I can't I'm taking it because this isn't this take it don't take it take it think it's not working work with your GP to come off it it's you know perfectly fine, mm. um, but again, I think there's a stigma attached to to tablets as well.
0: Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. So in terms of where mental health's going in the future, um do you think it? You said we we're a very long way off yet. Mm-hmm. How how far do you think before not everyone's happy because that's impossible. But what is the what is the goal? <clears throat> because hmm. you could say everyone happy but that's never <laughs> that's ever never gonna happen. no we are humans at the end of the day
1: yeah and like I talk a, a lot to clients about that that we're not aiming for like 100% happiness you know every week it might be only five weeks of the year that we're actually 100% happy with no stress and that could be split across a number of days um and so yeah definitely not everybody being happy I think people being treated more fairly a better understanding of mental health across all genders um Normalising some elements of mental health, you know, anxiety. Mm. Anxiety is normal, you know, and I think we're not always told that, especially when we're younger. You know, so when I work with like a a lot of um, Year Elevens around exam stress, like I've got anxiety and I've got a mental health problem. And whilst I'm not saying that's not a mental health problem, depending on the severity and the consequences, it's normal and natural to worry about things that you care about.
0: Yeah, I think people mistake it for anxiety at times.
1: We kind of medicalize it, Mm. you know. It is okay to be anxious about your GCSEs. It's okay. You will be anxious about A-levels if you do them, a job interview. You might not always get what you want.
0: Yeah, they're very normal things to be worried about. You can't be happy going into some of things.
1: Well, no. And there's different types of stress. Yeah. Like, there's stuff that's distressing. Then there's a different type of stress called eustress, stress, which is a positive stress. So things like moving house, planning a wedding, planning a big trip. A beneficial stress. They're stressful, but they have usually a, a decent outcome. Hmm. So I think, you know, not over medicalizing you know some things because then quite often people can think they're not normal you <laughs> oh, i've got anxiety I'm, i must be failing at life and that's that's not the case <clears throat> in terms of how far we are i think we've got a lot to do with the mental health system are we
0: still on baby steps at the moment
1: <clears throat> my personal opinion is in some ways yeah you know i feel that <clears throat> there's people such as yourself that are open enough and able to access therapy but I guess for every one of you, there's probably five or ten that, that don't. And, yeah, and the I same, think even more, to be honest. Yeah. And I think they're, they're the people that we want to be able to, to support and say, so, you know, it's, it's okay. Mm. You know, we, <clears throat> we have a mental health system, not only in this country, but globally that, especially since the pandemic, is overwhelmed um, with people that really need our support. Yeah. Um, and I think there needs to be a better infrastructure in, in the UK um around how how we can support those people um i think a lot more around challenging stigma and making it okay to access support
0: can you get therapy on the nhs is it free
1: yeah sometimes the therapy are so they do do it yeah there's some types
0: i was going to say because it, it makes sense for because your physical health to get mm-hmm. looked after is free mm-hmm. is that a new thing
1: and there's always been like for a number of years now sort of therapy on the nhs um when I used to work um, in a more strategic role in the NHS and sort of called parity of esteem was introduced, which is about making sure that mental health services are matched to physical health services. And again, when I was last in that strategic role a few years ago, we were still working towards that, right. you know, being able to fund the mental health services so they're equal to physical health. But I guess the problem with that, and again, I'm not necessarily as up to date as I was, so this is like a good four or five years ago is where we're we getting that money from yeah because it's all very well having the extra money but it doesn't always go as far as we need it to and i guess the whole purpose of parity of esteem was well physical health and mental health are equally important because sometimes you have a physical health problem that really impacts your mental health
0: yeah 100 percent. most i'd say most bad <clears throat> mental health come from a physical
1: like a long-term condition yeah ha-
0: yeah action um well, condition.
1: so actually how, how can we match that and it is really really hard and I appreciate there's like a, a whole political level that we'll just not get yeah, into yeah not get into that one but you know the, the funding isn't always there for mental health and I think that's because physical health has always taken priority and in a lot of ways yeah I get it yeah you know I guess it's because it's biggest... what you see isn't it mm-hmm. and, and I guess that's the biggest burden mm. on on services is you need to keep people physically well because I guess there's some schools of thought whereby if people are physically well, then they'll be all right mentally. Yeah. You know, we have to make sure that they're not losing legs or, yeah, you know, yeah. having heart attacks. And of course, you know. But
0: what's inside the brain. Yeah. We'll just push that in the car.
1: Exactly, because it's not seen. And it's interesting when I speak to a lot of clients, we talk about our, our physical health and mental health. And when we, look, you know, when we talk, talk about challenging our behaviours and changing mm. them and, you know, our lazy communication, whatever else. It's almost like we have this unrealistic expectation of our brain. So you and I sit in a session we say, right, try this. You go out you either forget about it you try it once think oh, that's too hard i can't be asked would we ever go to a gym do one sit-up and expect to get a six-pack
0: yes sir yeah <laughs> that would be good though right? you
1: know, one sit up done no need for personal trainers no yeah. need for... but we under... we appreciate with our physical health so let's just say we want to get more toned or we want that like elusive six-pack we kind of appreciate it's gonna take time repetition a number of things like sleeping right eating right maybe some supplements and whatever else almost with our brain were like hmm, i done it once, it didn't work so I'm not doing that. Mm. We're just we're just not very kind, and our brain is like some, and anything else, it needs time, it needs training, and um, we don't just wake up with the It's a muscle, isn't it? Yeah.
0: So you wouldn't like you say you wouldn't just wake up and your muscle there has improved. So why would your mm. muscle up there improve?
1: Exactly. Like after one sit up, that's it. Mm. I should have this like amazing amazing body now. But we understand that we mm. appreciate that. and oh, That's okay.
0: So why don't we understand that about brains? Is it education? Mm.
1: Um, could be education, could be um, patience. You know, we get a lot of things quite quickly now, don't we, like in the, in the world that we live in. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess a six-pack, let's just say you're prepared to take the time, you can start to see the changes. Sometimes it takes longer to sort of feel mm. the changes with your mind. And we're just much harsher with it. Like, oh, well, it's not worth it, or this is too hard. Um, but I imagine if you were to, like, go to the gym and you've got a PT pushing, you saying, you know, you can do 10 more sit-ups, or, you know, you could increase the weight... Even though you might be hated them at that moment because it hurts, you do it because you have that goal and it's the same with your brain. Mm. And that's the analogy I tend to use quite a lot, which is we're not very kind, you know, to our minds. And that might sound like a little bit icky, <clears throat> but but we're really not.
0: And you are like a brain's PT, aren't you?
1: Mm. Yeah, that's what I would say. It is like a PT for the brain. You know, however you choose to to reconcile it in your mind, you know, that that's what it is. You know, there's mm. lots of similarities in terms of what we might do, or approaches we might take um, for the brain and the body. But it's almost like the body, that's okay. You know, it's like socially acceptable. You know, if you want to go to the gym twice a week, people are like proper behind that. Go to therapy once a fortnight, why? It comes back to the same same narrative we spoke about a few moments ago, which is, what do you want to do that for? Why do you want to go to therapy twice a week or Mm. twice a month? You know, you should be able to cope. And then I think that's sort of drip fed to us. Maybe from like a collective sort of unconscious, which is, you should be able to manage your mind.
0: Well, I don't think mental health was ever spoke about when I was at school. Really? Yeah, and that, I don't know how many years ago, that is, a few years ago. A couple. Yeah, it's a few years ago, but I can't remember ever, ever hearing about it. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong, but I really don't think I was. No. Whereas like PE is a full-on subject.
1: Oh yeah, I used to hate PE as well.
0: I loved PE, but I like football, so...
1: I was just rubbish at PE,
0: hmm.
1: and if I'm not good at it, I don't like it. So I'm like, I was just rubbish at any type of sport. So yeah, I hated it. But that's a really good point. It's like you do PE at least twice a week.
0: You learn biology, but you don't learn about deeper in the brain. You just learn that's your muscle, that's your bone.
1: Well, yeah, this is what it does. Yeah. You know, don't break it. Hmm. Um, I think in the curriculum now there is more about about mental health. Um, my stepdaughter certainly sent me homework where she's doing about anxiety and doing about depression. And you're
0: like, yes.
2: <laughs> Good.
1: <laughs> you know, do you want extra marks? <laughs> Let's put these things in. <clears throat> which is really great. Um, and I think, you know, for her generation and maybe the uh, current generation going through school, that is talked about more, um, which is great. Um, and we can only hope that those particular generations take it and are, like, really confident to, to reach out if they need it. Um, but you make a very valid point, which is even now, PE is still twice a week. And I think we have only seen the mental health stuff maybe once in a homework. Yeah. So again, there's still like a massive disparity, isn't there, between what we're focusing on in terms of like our mind and what we're focusing on in terms of our body. And if we keep that balance, then it kind of still becomes the same narrative, doesn't it? Which is, accessing health for your body is fine, doing exercise is fine and good, great for your mental health. But the minute you kind of want to flip that narrative and say, well, instead of hot as well as going to the gym twice a week, I'm going to go to therapy once a month as well, or twice a month, you know, there still seems to be like a reticence to accept that that's equally as okay. Mm. You don't have to be broken, you know, or upset or anything else. It's just, again, I want to understand my brain more. I want to react to different situations better. I want to understand the parts of myself that I maybe don't sit and like,
0: because no one's the perfect person so I think it Mm -hmm. makes you realize the little bits that maybe you could improve on
1: yeah it's like that shadow self yeah it's a bit of ourselves that we don't see um that maybe others see maybe others don't see but it's like when you're in a therapy session sometimes that can come
0: out I find that sometimes you don't even have to see it either just me saying it I go wait a second yeah I'm an asshole
1: I like that. I love it when you say that I'm I bad. do that
0: and I'm like, how did you get me to say that? <laughs>
1: yeah. Take that back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: Can't a bit you writing. You yeah, know, but it's when you say it. You're not the only one, you know, myself included, you know. God, I've been a right bitch.
0: Yeah. Oh, God. Sometimes I think I'll say like, oh, I'm really selfish. Like, yeah, I am selfish. I've just told myself I'm selfish and I am.
1: Yeah. And there's parts of that where like selfishness can be a good thing. But there'll be other parts of that, that statement of I am selfish at times, which is, oh, maybe. That's upset other people around me, mm. or made them not feel feel as they might have. Mm. And it's quite powerful when we can accept those bits of ourselves and start to work on them. And that's about the whole uncomfortable conversation that we're not going to ask ourselves when it comes back to me accessing therapy. Am I going to sit there and tell myself, "Gosh, you've been a bitch today"? Yeah,
0: you're not you're going to deny nah, you was in the right. Yeah, I was. They was in the wrong. Everyone else was wrong.
1: <laughs> I've done nothing bad. You know, my reaction was not a spoiled child. It was justified and perfect. Yeah, so it comes back to that, being able to sit with feeling uncomfortable and accepting that sometimes we can be shitty. And that doesn't mean we're mentally unwell. Hmm. But there's definitely parts of ourselves that we can all work on. And that's perfectly fine and acceptable. And if you choose to do that in therapy, great.
0: So what would be your advice for that person Mm -hmm. that's maybe sitting at home? We'll we'll go first of all, the person that does have maybe some troubles in their life, Mm -hmm. but they're too scared to then talk about it. What would Mm -hmm. be your advice for them?
1: So it doesn't always have to be um, accessing someone such as myself. If there is maybe one person in your life that you actually trust, you know, that I can sit there and even just say I'm struggling, you don't have to go into the details, just being able to make that statement of I'm not doing very well at the moment or I could do with the chats, you know, can we go for a coffee? Whatever it might be, um, that, that's one way to approach it. I would usually avoid Google.
0: 100% yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah please don't go on google
0: every time i've like got an injury or alex has got an injury she'll google it and i'll just go it's going to tell you you've got cancer you know that it
1: it does say that doesn't it like everything's cancer it's cancer yeah um and then do you feel better or worse yeah (laughs) i would avoid google um unless you're like looking for sort of support groups or like forums that you could access so i think if there's somebody in your life that you trust where you think i can speak to that person as openly as i possibly feel able to right now then, then go to them. Um, I I would hope we all have one of those people, but I know that some people don't. Mm. In which case, depending on the severity of troubles, GP, crisis service, um, you know, trying to self refer the services you can self refer to, um, accessing someone such as myself it doesn't have to be me. There's lots of therapists yeah. that have websites or you can go on the BACP website, which is your best place to look for an accredited therapist and reach out I remember the first time I accessed counselling um when I was living in Hull and it was a really weird experience I was feeling really lonely and I was really unhappy and I filled in a contact form on this you know therapist website really random thing you fill in this contact form and it says why you uh, you know ask ask why you want therapy or what, mm. what you need and I was just like
2: i don't know
0: that's one of the hardest questions isn't it
1: yeah because at that moment i don't think i did know and i think i probably just put something like i don't really know i just need to talk to someone yeah then she sort of rang me back within half a day or something and i saw the number and i almost (laughs) didn't want to answer i was like oh no Mm. you know it's real now and she was part of the reason i actually got into counseling because i made an appointment with her and she was really lovely i remember her saying Pretty much probably what I say to a lot of clients is, yeah, what is it that's going on for you? And I just said, oh, I don't know. But then an hour passed in the blink of an eye. It does. And I don't really, I can't remember what I said in that hour. Um, but it, it helps. And I had a number of appointments with that particular therapist. Um, so I think, you know, even sometimes just reaching out, even if sort of money is a barrier, it doesn't mean that a therapist won't respond back to you and maybe give you some pointers as to, as to where you could go hmm. or what you might be able to try. Um, so, I think there's a number of ways you could approach it. Um, and it, it depends on where you feel most comfortable or who your support network are. You know, have you got people that you can lean on? Yeah. You know, sort of like head, shoulders, and toes. So, who's your head person? Who's your shoulders to lean on? Who's your knees up person? Mm. And who are the people that keep you grounded or going in the direction that you want? That doesn't always have to be one person. Yeah. It can be a number of people um, that you feel comfortable with. Um, always talking. Talking, talking, talking.
0: That's what everyone tries drilling in now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, just talk. And I know it's not as easy as, just
0: talk about it. Yeah.
1: You know, like, you know, I've been in a similar position. Friends and family have been in a similar position. I support people in a similar position. It isn't as easy to just say, "I'll oh, just talk. It's bit like when you would say to people, just be happy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I don't mean it in like a flippant way of, "We'll oh, just talk. I appreciate it's not that easy. But talking to one person is helpful.
2: Mm.
1: You know, whoever that might be. Um... You know, I was working with a client the other week who'd come up from London and she'd been upset and a stranger on a bench just gave her some tissues and that was kind of enough. You know, just this stranger had walked past, come back, gave some tissues and walked off. And for her, she was like, that's just so nice. like Just a stranger. And that made me feel better. Yeah. So it doesn't always have to be like massive stuff. You know, just sometimes an action.
0: Just a little act of kindness
1: yeah
0: someone listening
1: it, yeah it's true though isn't it and yeah. it's like as icky as that might sound like yeah. to people watching thinking oh gosh you too just um <laughs> you know just someone listening you don't always have to fix
0: yeah and problem. this is what we try drilling to me don't we yeah. is that i'm a fixer
1: yeah and sometimes people don't want to be fixed yeah sometimes it's just Somebody like to listen to I want you to listen to me i just want you to hear me mm. I don't want you to give me solutions or tell me what i need to do. I just want to download what I'm feeling. And sometimes that's enough. Mm. But unless we start having those conversations, then we don't know. So as hard as it might feel, speaking to someone that you trust <coughs> or reaching out to
0: somebody. So what about somebody like me? So before you would met me, what would be your advice for me? Somebody who doesn't sit there and go like, oh, I'm really <coughs> struggling. <coughs> Maybe just thinks like, I just want to have a better life or... <coughs> doesn't really know about therapy because i didn't at all but like, i just heard it off my mum <laughs> my mum says that she'll go and she'll talk about some problems that she's yeah. had in the past mm-hmm. and whereas i came in and i was like i didn't have any problems in the past you were
1: very clear i
0: was i was mm-hmm. like nothing's about my past as to why i'm I've like got no mummy <laughs>
1: issues but no daddy issues. no daddy issues yeah there's no parental issues you know i'm fine
0: so i'd class myself as just like a blank page when i came in mm-hmm. so what's your advice for someone like me because i've stayed so it clearly works. I haven't gone for the first week and then buggered off. Yeah. So what's your advice for somebody you don't really know that much?
1: Mm-hmm. I'd be curious. Mm. Um, I suppose for someone such as yourself, let's say, for example, said so we need to justify why you need to go to therapy. You know, again, we wouldn't justify it for our physical health. We'd just go do it because, you know, I want to better myself in whatever way. So actually, you know, what is, what we're going to lose from one appointment, I might lose my money, you know, <laughs> that might... I might, you know, but that's, but that's the most you're going to But you are
0: invested in yourself. Exactly. Or you'd go to Mackey's and spend a <clears throat> tenner.
1: Easy. Um, you'd go to Mackey's every day and spend a yeah, tenner. Yeah, exactly. Have, you know, what have you got to show for that? Yeah, fat um, belly. Yeah. Um, and cold food. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, being curious and not feeling the need to sort of justify having to go to therapy. You know, you don't have to be, like you say, upset, mum issues, dad issues the sort of the usual kind of the stuff that, that we see perpetuated in the media social media or you know television programs and um, it's maybe being curious like what have I got to lose by sitting in a room with someone and just saying these are the great things about my life but these are the question marks that I've got and these are the things that I'm unsure about I'm not sure if you can help me but I would like my life to look like x y and z for example what do you think about that?
0: Yeah, you create a path then, can't you?
1: Yeah, and, and sometimes it might be, well, I can't do that. Mm. You know, maybe you actually are doing all right. Um, but I would ob- often think if you're sat there, then there's something. There's and, something you've got to find out, yeah. we don't know what that is. Yeah. Like my own experience of going to therapy for the first time, I knew that I was a little bit sad and lonely. But I didn't really consider myself unwell. Yeah. I just needed someone to talk to. And that that was it for me. So I think, you know, being curious, and there's not really much you can lose, I was thinking and gain, even if you go to one session, you're going to learn something about yourself, or it's going to give you something to think about, mm. and like you say yourself, or I came back, so clearly there was something, enough to make me think, well, I could work on this.
0: To prove is not like negative things as well, we in one of our sessions, I think it was one where things were good, and you was like, right, well now it's time to learn to celebrate the good, because mm-hmm. i was mentioned to you like we'd reached a milestone in the business, mm-hmm. and We kinda I went for a meal but I was just like, now what? Yeah. Whereas you need to try and get in my brain that it's good to celebrate them. Mm -hmm. So it's not always even bad things. Sometimes it's actually good things. But
1: learning to to appreciate the good things. I Mm -hmm. will actually yeah, that sort of mindset was I've done this now, so yeah, we'll dismiss that. The next thing. And whilst it's great to have that mindset of wanting to achieve and, you know, build on the positive, again it's about being able to sit with the positive and enjoy it because those moments who knows when that's our last milestone, last for milestone, example. Yeah. And then, obviously, it won't be, and it isn't. But you know, can you imagine if that was your last milestone and you didn't even take the time yeah. to really celebrate it and actually to immerse yourself in other people's pride around your milestone? Mm. You know, it's very dismissive. And actually, we should—they're taking the time to be proud of us, so don't we need to be proud of us too?
2: Mm.
1: And yeah, not, not everything's negative. You know, we have some sessions that are celebratory, but yeah. also. I remember challenging you and saying, well, are you not, like, going to talk a bit more about that? No.
0: Yeah, because I just moved by it.
1: Yeah, I'm on to the next thing now. Yeah. you what about that thing. <laughs> but wasn't there a time where you really wanted that thing? Yeah. Mm. So what about, like, coming back to that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I remember like, going, like, toe to toe, kind of back and forth, like, well, are you going to, like, take some time to, to sit with that a moment? Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> if I have to. If I <laughs>
1: But yeah, it's about, you know, celebrating the good stuff. And again, um, yeah, with, with a few clients, you know, come with stuff that's gone really well. And it's important to celebrate that. We're not just here for the doom and gloom, you know. There is going to be doom and gloom sometimes. You know, there are going to be challenging times. But it's also really great to be like, how good is that? Look how far you've come. And I bet mm-hmm. you didn't think at one point you were going to do that. And now you've done it. And what does that tell you about yourself? Yeah. There's always something we can be learning. And for you, as you've been so transparent, it was more about being able to sit with the positive and like enjoy that moment that doesn't mean it's at the expense of future progression yeah but being able to really sit with it and be like actually i've done well here yeah because that's what you'd say to a friend
0: exactly you
1: wouldn't be like oh forget move it on. Come on, next move on thing. next thing <laughs> you know, you'd, you'd be with a friend like getting them a beer or something and treating them to a meal and say you've done really well but then to yourself you're like for oh, well, the next thing and that's the thing. Sometimes if we take ourselves out of it and think, "Would I say this to a friend?
0: Well, on this podcast, I tell people that come on, I'd be like, <clears throat> have you ever celebrated your wins? And I'll go, why aren't you doing that? That's not very good, is it? I'd be <laughs> like, I don't do it ever.
1: <clears throat> See?
0: I sound like a preacher, <clears throat> but not listening to myself.
1: <laughs> very common. Yeah. I think it's easy for us all to do, isn't it? Like, we'll be so much kinder to other people than we will to ourselves. And quite often that is the challenge in sessions. Like, so would you say those things to a friend and expect not to get punched? <laughs> no. Would you say them to a stranger? Of course not. Mm. Mm. So, so why are you saying all these really horrible things or really negative things to yourself? Well, because it's me. Yeah. But why? Yeah. And it's almost like we're, the brain is more negatively weighted, so it is harder to be kinder to ourselves. But it's really important to notice the language we use to speak to and about ourselves because we just wouldn't do it to somebody else you yeah, wouldn't mm. um, and same with your like lack of celebration for yourself to other people you'd be really like geeing them up yeah to yourself it was very much some dismissing that yeah. disqualifying the positive and i want to be on to the next the next stressful thing that i want to to achieve yeah mm, yeah I, i'm i'm really one for celebrating like little wins like my husband takes the piss out of me because he's like oh god She's got up today, everybody. You know. Yes, I <laughs> woke like, up. Get, I woke up. Get her a Prosecco. She's got up today, you know. Um, you know. But I do believe in celebrating. Like every assignment that I do that I at least pass, I'm just like, I want to celebrate that. Like, mm. And I don't mean like have a massive fanfare. And, you know, will I have a glass of wine and a takeaway? Yeah, maybe. Because that's my little way of celebrating. Um, because it's so, so easy to get caught up in the big picture. So I'm thinking of that thing over there. But I've got another four years to get to it. Yeah. If I think of that four years, I'll talk myself out of it. I'm not doing that. Whereas each little milestone, it's like, oh, I'm going to celebrate that because that helps keep me motivated, ready for the next one. Yep. Because the next one might not be as good. Exactly. Um so I think you know, celebrating the small wins is so so important. Helps with the resilience.
0: Definitely. So what's next for you then in terms of the career path?
1: Mm. Um. So, a couple of things, um, staying as I am, obviously, Yeah. Um, so you don't get rid of me just yet. Yeah. You know. <laughs> um, so, a couple of things, I'm just starting some new clinical training, so I'm going back to being a trainee as well as a qualified therapist, That's so it's a really weird, weird dynamic. So, um,
0: will you be that supervisor?
1: Um, I'll be supervised. Oh, okay. So, I'm doing some um, new psychotherapy training, which takes about a year. Um. So that's part of one of my freelance contracts that I work. So, you know, very, very different. And again, it's that back to that imposter syndrome of, hmm, I've got to be new and I've got to yeah. tell these clients that I'm new. And, you know, even though I'm really qualified, I'm doing something new. So yeah. there's that, and that's an interpersonal psychotherapy. So it's a different type of psychotherapy. Kind of is what it says on the tin, focusing on depression as a primary um, issue, but focusing on interpersonal reasons for that. So mm. things like relationship difficulties, complicated bereavement, role transitions, um, and sort of um, some tendencies whereby we might be <clears throat> um, struggling mm. in terms of our interpersonal connections. So there's that. Um, so yeah, i start that in a couple of weeks. So. That'll be interesting. Yeah, something um, new. Something new. I'm scared, you know, obviously, yep. because it's new. And I'm no, going you're not allowed to, to be scared. You're a therapist. I'm allowed to be scared. <laughs> I'm scared. I'm going gonna, gonna to get out there. But I'm excited as well. I think it's normal and natural to be nervous
2: because mm. it's
1: new. and I'm not used to it. And, you know, it's having that duality then of, of being qualified in one respect and then new and training in another respect. And also my PhD. So, um, yeah, I'm just waiting for my Final Dr. Emily. Mark. yeah i'm gonna make a comment as well <laughs> <laughs> for my final mark of year two and then i've got another four years so shit yeah hence why i have to like celebrate all these tiny, yeah. tiny little milestones i've written a word on a 4,000 word essay because I, I like there's I still a
0: long way to go so you need to make sure you enjoy the journey
1: definitely because i think the journey is going to be challenging you know um you don't get PhDs for nothing.
0: 100%. Um, yeah.
1: I want obviously expect to work hard for it, and there'll be moments, there have been moments, there's been tears mm. already because it's hard and it's supposed to be. You know, but um, so there's, they're, they're my, two, my two things that I'm working on alongside my, my private practice as well. Um, I don't know what I'll do. Should I become a doctor? A client asked me this the other day, actually, and I said, well, I'm still going to carry on doing what I'm doing, which is being a therapist because that's what I love yeah that's what I do that's what brings me
0: that's what started wasn't it? that's how you started by loving that field
1: yeah and that, that's what sets my soul on fire so I'm always going to be a practicing psychotherapist what happens if when should I get my PhD alongside that I'm not entirely sure um, cross that
0: bridge when you get to it
1: yeah I'm trying to be quite flexible in my thinking you're not too rigid um you know that psychological flexibility we talk about I'm just trying to be curious uh, mm. see what happens Um, And hopefully, you know, add to my knowledge base, my skill set to to benefit the people that I work with.
0: It's ever-changing, isn't it, as well? Yeah. So you are, unfortunately, always going to be learning. Yeah. Because mental health changes day in, day out. There's always something new, like anxieties. A thousand people that have anxiety, and there's a thousand different ways they've got it.
1: Definitely. And I think that's the thing. The day I think I should stop learning is the day I should stop doing what I'm doing. Yeah. Because you're only as good as your last session. And sometimes, you know, I have to say to clients, I'm going to need to go away and maybe read about that because I'm not 100% sure. Um, or like learning from clients. I work with a lot of trans clients, but I'm learning a lot from them because hmm. they'll come up with terminology that I'm not necessarily familiar with. And I think there's something quite nice for them, but also sobering for me to say, I, I don't know. Yeah. What do you mean? Can you... And
0: you can learn
2: from that.
1: Yeah. And I think that's really important. Um, and like the same with my, my research. Um, the minute I've written my PhD and published my research the, the lady that, that wrote the course said "But that will be out of date as soon as you publish it because there will be somebody behind you publishing something else that supersedes that yeah. or saying why have you done it like that, you should have done it like this so again it's quite a vulnerable position to be in because you're always subject to criticism, albeit constructive
2: there's it always data, a, yeah.
1: yeah, there's always something new so I know the minute I do my research, write it, publish it hopefully get it through all of the different panels it needs to go through to be awarded a doctorate somebody else will have written something better and that's hard
0: you've got to settle with it
1: <laughs> yeah and that, for me like i you know historically i have like struggled with criticism because i take stuff really personally and that's how I, I understand myself that i need to be able to divorce the two so it's ironic that you know being a therapist you're always your supervisor's always saying could you have done that better you know my new clinical training going to be tapes that I'm going to fail. Yeah. And they're going to say, you didn't do that quite the way we want you to do it. Um, and it's quite hard. You get used to it. But I don't think anyone ever really enjoys it. No, definitely not. So there's there's always going to be new stuff. And, you know, we have to keep up to date. And that's, I guess, the bits people don't see.
0: 100%. Well, that's fun, anyway. It is fun. Being a doctor.
1: It will be fun if I get there. Like, my family when? keep telling me when. when? Yeah, I know. I just, like, always... I've always been, like, cautious... Um but obviously, yeah, in an ideal world one. It's in about hopefully four years. Um and then we'll see what happens. But you're I'm gonna definitely make you, just you, call me doctor.
0: <laughs> doctor on the door. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to Doctor Emily's office. You have to knock and bow and, <laughs> and all
1: sorts, um, you know, just to get a letter. Yeah, just
0: to be allowed.
1: Um, but no, that that's that's the plan. Um so we'll see what the next four years bring, um, in terms of training and Assignments and research, but unfortunately for you, I'm still going to be doing this. So, That's all right. you know, you're still going to have to.
0: No, I can deal with that.
1: You know, come and um, let me listen to your shit. you so beautifully put it, <laughs> listen to my shit. <laughs> but today you got to listen to mine.
0: Yep, it's been fun. The way we end the podcast is I have some like random questions in here.
1: Okay, I wonder what those were. Yeah,
0: just a random ornament. Yeah. I'd like to keep a Tupperware tub on the side. So, some of the questions in here are, like, real deep. Okay. Some are, are just stupid. Okay. So, it's kind of like potluck, what you pick.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> this will go one of two ways. Oh, God. What would you take with you if tomorrow you were requ- required to evacuate and you only had time to grab three items? I've got eight cats, so...
0: You can only take three. <laughs> so, you take just three cats?
1: Oh, it just says items of animals. Oh so there's a technicality there three items um hmm. it would probably be a picture of my dad who's no longer with us mhm um it's going to be really vacuous with pull my phone <laughs> because that's going to get me help if i need it you know
0: does it say like does it, what was it said
1: what would you take with you if tomorrow you were, re, look, you were required to evacuate and you only had time to grab three items?
0: Oh, so like the planet still keeps going, you've just got to evacuate.
1: All oh, right, that's fine then. That's my misunderstanding. Um, so, hmm.
2: yes, a picture of my dad.
0: Um, I think everybody would take their phone.
2: I know. I think- but we can't
0: live without our phones now, can we? No. I'd take my phone, 100%. Everything's on it. Yeah.
1: Whatever help I need, you know, whatever else, like getting people to go sort the cats. (laughs) Um, You know, so a picture of my dad, my phone, Um, water. I've always got water, wherever I go. Yeah,
0: you do always have your big sippy cup thing. Mm.
1: I don't know why I picked those three things, but the first (laughs) two things that came to mind, I'm sure I'm meant to come out with something like way more... Meaningful, meaningful yeah you know i should have really thought about that but we've not got all night well you'll
0: survive on water and your phone, phone and i've got and a picture, picture of my dad, dad. Yeah.
1: you know because the world's not ended i could go see my mum so it's fine
0: exactly You
1: know, i'm sure when my mas- husband much is this
0: it'd be like wait bitch you know, what the fuck? <laughs> no picture of me no no, because I can still
1: see you, Robert, because, you know, the planet's not ended. I've yeah, just got exactly. to evacuate. You'll be coming with me. You'll get your own free things.
0: Exactly. So that, well be recovered. My, yeah, well so. recovered. I had the reverse lights on,
1: you know, but I've backed up nicely. Yeah, you've done and well there. I've done well, so I don't think he can be upset. And if he is, then obviously that's not my fault. No. Because <laughs> I don't to own that in any way, that, shape or form. No, you mom. don't. <laughs>
0: All right, it's been spot on. How can people find you if they wanted to get in touch with you about Okay. Right.
1: Um, my Instagram, um, which I'm sure you probably you have tags. Um, my website, so unmind.net. Uh, um, yeah, those are probably the two places to find me. Um, easiest. Um, but yeah, I'm open to DMs on my Instagram. I think that's how. That's I, how I got yeah. in touch. Yeah. So it doesn't have to be through the website, you know. Sometimes people feel Instagram is better, and you know, to be quite honest, you know, I see a quicker yeah um so yeah but reach out in any way shape or form it doesn't always have to be for appointments if it's just for like a little bit of advice yeah or what to do next then that's also fine um but yeah hit me with whatever
0: lovely stuff it's been an absolute pleasure awesome. weird one because we've switched roles but it's been a pleasure nonetheless
1: yeah well we can switch roles back in a few weeks yeah yeah time. a few weeks
0: we'll go back to therapy and back to normal
1: <laughs> we won't have like prosecco inside us no
0: so. and you won't be under two big lights
1: no
2: but it's so been you can relax awesome. now. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. No problem at all. Absolute awesome. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you.